Hello and welcome to my first audio version of Burnt Toast. I am Virginia Soul Smith. I'm a feminist writer and author of The Eating Instinct. And joining me today is Amy Palangian, the creator of Yummy Toddler Food. Amy, welcome. Hello. Thank you for being here with me. Um, for those of you who don't know, Amy and I are also best friends, and we are co-hosts of the currently on hiatus podcast, Comfort Food. Um, but Amy is also many other things. So Amy, why don't you tell people about yourself and your work? Sure. So my primary work right now is on yummytoddlerfood.com. So I do recipes, feeding advice, um, sanity, sanity for parents with little kids. In I thought you were just going to say sanity full stop. <laughs> and I was like, that's amazing. I wish. <laughs> um, I am the author of the kids cookbook called Busy Little Hands Food Play. And I, I'm like, what else? I have three little kids. I live outside of Des Moines in Iowa. And I'm, you know, tired of cooking like everybody else. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she's not getting a dog because we were just talking about that and about how I have a dog that maybe I should have. <laughs> but she's smarter than me. So yeah. So yeah. So Amy and I used to do this podcast, Comfort Food. We hope to someday do it again when there's not a pandemic and we have more reliable childcare than we have in our lives these days. Um, if you guys like this conversation and you want more of me and Amy, you can find, I don't know, like 80 episodes that we did over at comfortfoodpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. So I'll do that plug. And of course, all of Amy's work is yummytoddlerfood.com. And yeah. So the reason I wanted to have Amy on is because lots of folks have been sending in questions that are very small child specific. And while I have parented small children, I don't consider myself an expert <laughs> on feeding them. Um, but Amy, not only parents, but also, you know, helps thousands and thousands of parents figure this stuff out. So um, this first question we're going to answer that Amy's going to answer is one that I think every parent has at some point, which is, my baby used to eat everything, and now at 13 months, 15 months, 19 months, it seems like she's dropping foods every week. Am I really supposed to just let her decide how much to eat? Um, well, you don't have to, <laughs> like, but you maybe should. Um, <laughs> okay, so this is like an incredibly common question. I think the thing that most parents don't realize is that one-year-olds grow less slowly than they did as babies. And so they are naturally less hungry, even though they are more mobile and all over the place. And so your baby as a baby might have eaten all sorts of things because their hunger and just like what else was going on in their life was very different. And now as a toddler, they may be less hungry and more interested in all the other things that they now realize they can do. Mm -hmm. And so this often parents see this as picky eating when it, if they're just less hungry, they're not going to eat as much or as many foods. And it can sort of snowball if you then put yourself in the position of trying to figure out what they'll eat. Because if they're not actually hungry, they may still eat some favorite snacky foods because they're easy to eat. They're comforting. They taste really good, but they may not eat other foods that you want them to eat. And so then you're like narrowing the list of foods that they may eat. So what I recommend instead is just continuing with the division of responsibility, which if anyone follows Virginia, you probably know what this is, but it's where it's clearly delineated what your job is at meals 
Your job is to decide what served. Your job is to decide when the meal is and where it happens. And then we leave the kids to decide which foods and how much of them to eat, if at all. And by doing that, you really free yourself up from worrying about how many bites. Because as you know, as an adult, if anyone tells you how much to eat or asks you to eat more or less, it is like an immediate emotional reaction that you have that is very disconnected from actual hunger. And so the less we can make that happen with this age in particular, when all they really want is control, Mm -hmm. um, the sort of, I think the saner everyone will feel during mealtimes. And that may mean that your kids eat a lot less than you expect, but it also means that you're not going to be fighting with them to get them to take a certain amount of bites at every meal. Which is exhausting and crazy making for sure. Yeah. And, and I think too, if you can, if you can consider what they're eating over the course of a week or even two weeks, mm-hmm. it's probably going to look a lot better than what they didn't eat for lunch today because they may like eat a ton of breakfast and then not eat a lot at dinner or every other Tuesday they may eat like seven meals. Like <laughs> there's no, there's no one right way for kids to eat. And we're trying, I think a lot of times we're trying to like force them into this mold of eating certain amounts of food groups at, at every meal. And that's just not the way that kids naturally eat. Yeah. And this phase can go on for like many years, we should say too. I mean, I have a seven-year-old, you have an eight-year-old, we still see, you know, not this exactly, but versions of this from time to time. So don't feel bad if, yeah. Well, and at least as they get older, they can verbalize more Yeah, and you can suss out like what the true issue is. But with this, like with one-year-olds, it's really hard because even if they can talk, they can't, they cannot always use the right words or explain things exactly how they mean it. Right. And so it's like the combination of all of those challenges that make one-year-olds. And also it can just be really jarring for parents to like give their kid dinner and then they just don't want any of it. Yes. Yes. It is super maddening. Um, for sure. Okay. That is really helpful. And for anyone who's like division of responsibility, what I will link to some stuff in the transcript. Um, so these words that I just said probably have a link on them if you're reading this and you can learn more. <laughs> um, so, okay. Next question. And this I think is going to kind of build on what we were just talking about. Um, how do you get kids to eat the stuff their body needs without them thinking all the quote other stuff is bad? One of mine won't eat veggies unless I sing each body part saying thank you, like her eyes saying thank you when she eats a carrot. <laughs> I don't mean to be laughing at the mom who sent in this question, but I do feel like you're making your meals harder than they need to be, or perhaps just more musical. Um, yeah. Amy, over to you. So my initial, my initial response is, how do you know exactly how much their body needs? Mm. Like, does anyone know exactly how much anyone's body needs? Like, it's not. <laughs> how it's many not carrots really... achieve eyesight? Yeah. Right. Like, it's not. I think when we see portion size recommendations and we see charts and we see plates with, like, servings on them, we assume that that is the perfect amount that our child needs. But it may or may not be. And so a lot of times we're chasing these very arbitrary amounts that may or may, may not be what our kids actually need. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, I think it's very difficult in the culture that we live in to not feel this pressure because we're getting it from all sides. Like all day long, I feel like my inbox is filled with, with 
pitches for kids products that are like gonna do all of, you know, all of the things. Mm-hmm. Get um, them into Harvard and make yeah. money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, products developed by neuroscientists and everything. Uh, but it's, it, like food doesn't really work that way. And so I think, honestly, if you just don't worry about that and you serve a range of foods with a range of flavors and a range of textures and colors, you're going to get all of that stuff in what you're offering your kids without having to do math, without having to count grams or percentages of vitamin A. And it's much more pleasant to, to come from the side of like, food is delicious in all of these many ways. How can I prepare it in a way that my, that's easy for my kids to eat? That is a flavor that they like and that I want to eat too. Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't need like a master's degree in nutrition science. Right. And I think, I just think we've like lost the plot a little bit on what matters sort of big picture when we're feeding our kids, because this anxiety is not helpful to anyone. Like it's not helpful to that mom. I bet she's not enjoying her meals and it's certainly not helpful for that kiddo. And those nutrition messages for little kids are incredibly confusing. And I just think are like beyond comprehension for the age group. Agreed. Agreed. Um, that said, if the carrot song is really good, I kind of want to hear it, but, um, yeah, I feel like unless you're, I don't know, very musically inclined, it's maybe more work than you need to be doing. Um, but I think what like this question kind of also gets at is, and you've touched on a little bit, but is that like, we have this idea of how our kids should eat. That's, you know, the sort of perfect eating goal we're striving for which is not based in the reality of how kids really eat or how most families can really manage to eat. And it really more comes from diet culture, right? It comes from, as you said, like these people sending press releases for crazy products or the influencers we see on social media claiming that this is the perfect way to eat. So can you connect the dots on some of the subtle ways you see diet culture showing up at family mealtimes? Sure. Um, A big part of it is the control. It's the question of, can I really just let my child eat fill in the blank? Mm-hmm. Can I really trust them to eat and according to their own hunger? It's the doubt that we just don't believe that our kids are capable of this. Mm-hmm. We've been told that we're not capable of it. And so why on earth would we trust tiny little kids to do something that we can't or that many of us can't? And so that's one thing. Um, I think the you know, the pressure to have quote unquote balanced meals where (laughs) I remember seeing a post that was like, an apple is not a balanced snack and you have to add all these other things. I'm like, that's great. But that doesn't mean a kid's going to want to eat all those other things. Right. Or that sometimes sometimes you just just... want an apple. Right. And that's not like a bad thing. And you don't like, just because you don't eat a protein at every meal or snack doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I think all of those subtle messages about just the way in which we're serving foods and that some things are not right or that some things are not good enough um, really builds up. I mean, like marketing, yes, is one thing, but I sort of think that the way that we talk to each other about food is mm-hmm. even worse. Like it's the, it's, like the way that someone in your family, their relationship with food 
in ways that it's it's less overt than like a message on a package about it not being junk food or something like it's it's much harder i mean and it's like that's sort of a depressing <laughs> road to go down because it's harder to deal with but i think the subtlety of those messages that we're hearing just in our day-to-day life are um really hard to block out and they really make feeding kids confusing when it doesn't have to be. Yeah. I think it's often like as parents, we need to sit with like, am I really worried about my kids intake here? Or am I worried about how I'm being perceived as their parent? Because we tie so much of our self-worth as a parent to their like eating performance in a way Mm -hmm. that's really problematic. And, you know, if it's more that you're like, grandma's going to make a comment or, you know, my friend's kids all eat X, Y, and Z and my kids don't like that is, I think that's sort of a good way of being able to tell that it's not like, you know, this is more of like a cultural noise thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, even just think about, well, this isn't going to apply to you because I know you don't, you don't care about this (laughs) that a lot of people do, but like, if you have a meal, like a dinner and there's no vegetable, like it is Wednesday at my house, continue. (laughs) But for many, many people, the immediate feeling is that you've somehow failed. Like yeah. you somehow didn't do it right. And that meal is incomplete where it's like, that it's, that's not true. Like no. you're yeah. not like, um, you know, like I think if we're trying to like check off boxes of like, I got my protein in today, I got all of these like macronutrients in, like, I just think we're going to make ourselves crazy. And so Especially with kids who, as you said, like, you know, their intake varies over a day, over a week. Like they, it might not be a day when they're eating vegetables. Right. That's just is. I think, um, I have sometimes have to like almost force myself to just give mac and cheese and to just like prove to myself that everyone is fine. (laughs) Sometimes you just need to see it to believe that it's fine. And that like the next day your kids might eat all the broccoli Mm -hmm. or, Um, I think that, you know, that like inherent trust that if a kid, you know, there's all the messaging around like feeding babies where if they eat certain foods as babies, like they'll prevent picky eating. Or if you feed them a certain way with solids, you'll skip the picky eating phase altogether. And that's, A, it's not true. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly damaging to parents who have more challenging kids Mm -hmm. because it just sets you up as feeling like you did something wrong. Yeah, totally. I think that's so true. It's really well said. Um, okay, this question is maybe a, a little bit diet culture and a little bit manners, and I just didn't even really know what to say, so I'm making you answer it. Um, okay, she writes, before COVID, I met my boyfriend's cousins and their children for the first time. It was a birthday party celebration with lots of food. I had a piece of cake and was also offered a packaged ice cream sandwich, which I accepted, as would I. That sounds like a great combination. <laughs> The three-year-old daughter of one of the cousins took it from me (laughs) to put back in the freezer because I already had a piece of cake and two desserts wasn't healthy for me. I was pretty shocked, but didn't insist on eating the ice cream sandwich. I haven't seen them since, but I expect we'll get together late this summer when we're all vaccinated. If a situation like this happens again, how would you suggest I handle it? Maybe you invite them over and have a dessert bar and everyone gets to eat as much dessert as they want. Oh my God. Just go like the other extreme. I don't know. I mean, I, I totally understand like in the moment that would be difficult to react to if you had no inkling that it was coming. Yeah. Um, and a three-year-old just stole your ice cream sandwich yeah. and also shamed you for it. Yeah. 
I think, I think saying something like, if it were to happen again, mm-hmm. you could say something like, these both sound really delicious to me. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to eat them. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. end. Or this is what I'm having for dessert. The mm-hmm. end. Like, yeah. I like that you're kind of making it about like own your own choice versus like needing to sort of chastise the child who let's be honest is being pretty rude in that moment. Not your own business. Yeah. yeah, But you don't want to like make it into like a parenting, like, you know, like you don't have to parent that child around this issue. Right. And I don't, I think that that's where you would probably get into like a very murky territory, but if you can just claim it as like, this is mine, it is not yours and you don't need to worry about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, and that goes with anything. Yeah, that's on your plate or your life or whatever. Yeah, honestly, that's good advice for like, I mean, so many of us are thinking about family gatherings that haven't happened in a long time now. And, you know, I hear a lot from like, my mother always makes this comment about what I eat or, you know, other relatives weighing in on things like just sort of being able to set that boundary of like, what's on my plate is my business. Yeah, Yeah, I always like to do like a very short sentence and then change the subject. Mm. So be like, this is what I'm having. What color are your shoes or whatever? <laughs> that works <laughs> but, for mothers and three-year-olds. Three-year-olds are really great at like, you can totally change yes. the direction of their attention. So That is so true. Yeah. Just ask a completely random other question. Where is your baseball bat? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. <laughs> what are you being for Halloween? Never mind that it's summertime. Yes, absolutely. Um, that's really great. Um, for parents, I, it's like hard to give advice for parents in that situation. Um, but I mean, as a general rule, like, do you feel like it's important to kind of communicate to your kids that we don't comment on other people's eating habits and that, you know, is that something you are aware of teaching them or has it not really come up? So we don't really have um, comments at our table about like the amounts that other people are eating or the, but we do have a lot of comments, like that looks yucky type of comment. Mm. So we do regularly talk about how you know, everyone gets to decide what they think is delicious. This tastes really delicious to me. Um, my four-year-old will now uh, like use that language of like, this tastes, <laughs> this tastes yucky to me, which is <laughs> at least like she's owning that as a specific thing. She's not like casting the, right. the blame on more broadly. Um, I think, I think that it is because then, you know, you want your kids to be able to go to school and not be like judging <laughs> other people's food. Yeah. So I think definitely working on that a little bit at the table in your own house when it comes up can be helpful. I mean, we haven't had, we've had like only Christmas meals with extended families. Mm -hmm. So I have no, we have not eaten anything with anyone else. In a long time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Period. Um, This is reminding me, I'm trying to teach my kids to say, this is not my favorite rather than like, Mm -hmm. yuck, or I hate it, you know, or putting their heads down and sobbing as sometimes happens. Um, And I realized the other day, my three-year-old is mishearing me. Because she sat down and goes, this is my favorite. I'm not eating it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I think you've like got half the line. <laughs> um, and it's about my pasta sauce. So it really hurts because my pasta yeah. sauce is amazing. But yeah, this is my favorite. But I'm not eating it today. I um, do often say, I do often remind the kids that not every meal will be their favorite. And mm-hmm. that it is okay for sometimes it to be mommy's favorite. Or yes. to be other people's favorite. And that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the meal or that it's bad, but we can like eat the fruit on the side or eat the rice plain or whatever. There'll always be something you can eat, but it might not be your favorite tonight. Yeah. I've recently announced that Tuesdays is um, the night when I cook whatever I want, because I felt like I was, we were 
getting into a slippery slope of like the meals being just their favorites, which mm-hmm. is, you know, you should serve your children's favorite foods. That's not a bad thing. But, you know, Monday night is pesto pasta because that's their absolute favorite. And Mondays are tiring and I don't want any fights at dinner on Mondays. Um, and Wednesdays is taco night, which is their other favorite. And so I was like, you know what? Tuesdays is going to be whatever Tuesdays I pick. Is mine. And it's going to change week to week. And they don't love it, mm-hmm. um, but they're coping. So that's good. Mm-hmm. I usually, if I'm um, making one of my favorites, I almost always serve flatbread on the side mm-hmm. because, because then I know that they have nothing to complain about because they like bread. Yeah. Um, and usually the things that I want to make for myself have like Indian sauces or things. And so it's like good for dipping. So like a flatbread kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I keep a lot of packages of dinner rolls in the freezer for this purpose. Um, although then occasionally they get sick of the favorite dinner roll and then <laughs> that really screws you. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, so, yeah. My kids are quick to fall out of love with their favorites and have new favorites. It's hard to keep up. Um, okay. Last question is how do I do division of responsibility when my child has food allergies? This converse, this question's come in a bunch of different ways. I'm not going to read them all because it's like very specific. But I think what people are generally struggling with is like, you've got this one big scary food your kid can't have. And somehow that feels like it's blurring the lines of this responsibility question. I mean, I guess you there could be an issue if like your kid was allergic to dairy, but you kept dairy in the house, how do you not make them feel excluded? Like mm-hmm. this question, I don't exactly know what the intent of it is, but I think it, I think it's probably something like that. Like, can we serve ice cream with dinner or whatever? If one kid can't eat it. I mean, I think you need to have a replacement for it. Like mm-hmm. You need to somehow make the playing field fair so mm-hmm. that, or you need to lean on other types of things that the kid can eat. Like, make a list of all the delicious things that the, everybody in the family can eat, mm-hmm. put it on the fridge where you can look at it. And then maybe like when your kid's at school or at daycare, like you can eat some of the other foods that they can eat, but I mm-hmm. think make them, make them feel like they are part of the family and they're part of your food experience as much as possible mm-hmm. rather than making it like their issue. And I think a lot of families are really good at this of like, we all eat this way and it's fine. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many products now that make this so much easier than even just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think you just do it the same way, but you have to just rethink what the foods are a little bit. That makes sense. And I think too, I, I think often sort of a tone that was coming across in these emails and certainly something I remember dealing with when my older daughter had more medical food issues, um, Often there's a lot of anxiety about growth with a kid who's got a lot of allergies and like whether they're eating enough that can sort of come into play. And so maybe this is like a, can I trust their fullness? Mm -hmm. And I feel like for the most part, the answer is absolutely yes. You can still trust your child to know their hunger and fullness, even if they can't eat certain foods, right? Yeah. I mean, if like, if there is a medically indicated reason that the kid can't feel their hunger or their appetite levels are skewed because of medication or some other issue, mm-hmm. you want to talk to your doctor and find a feeding therapist who is trained in those specific things because flying that alone is going to be incredibly challenging. Yeah. But otherwise, there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to um, trust your child with whatever the food is, whether mm-hmm. or not it has nuts or doesn't have nuts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think on like the growth and weight issue, like this is a whole, this is a whole other topic. But if you're 
your child is growing, even if it's not like leaps and bounds, if they mm-hmm. are growing, if they're meeting their milestones, if they seem happy, if they seem like themselves, you probably should just leave them alone. Yes. Um, if they're dropping off of their growth curve and your doctor is really concerned, like that's a different issue. Just yes. because you're in a lower end of the growth scale or the higher end doesn't mean that there's a problem. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I'll put some links to folks that we, Amy and I both really trust if anyone is looking for a refeeding therapy help along those lines. Um, but yeah, I think the fundamental message of even if this is a kid who's got certain foods they can't eat, and maybe that means you're worried about their overall nutritional makeup because you're having to skip out on certain food groups, like still working on how to trust their hunger mm-hmm. and fullness cues is going to be super, super important, you know, maybe even more important for a kid who's got to navigate food in a slightly more fraught way. Right. Right. And if anyone's looking for like specific substitutions and you can't find it, just email me and I'll like pull my Instagram community because (laughs) someone recommended like a dairy-free Parmesan today that I didn't know about. And I was like, oh, see, there's a great one out there. That's awesome. And Amy's website also, all her recipes always have notes about substitutions you can make if you need to take out a common food allergen. She's like amazing at figuring out not a hundred percent, but I try. Well, you are a hundred percent amazing. Maybe I not a hundred percent of the recipes have this, but I noticed this as a recurring theme in your recipes. I've gotten a lot of questions lately about oat allergies and I'm like, Ooh, oh, I didn't, I didn't that's know. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But she'll figure it out. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> Amy, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Again, I'll put links in the transcript to Yummy Toddler Food and to our old podcast archives for anyone who wants to go down that rabbit hole with us. Thanks for having me.